Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to Truth Quest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the Word of God. The Bereans receive the Word of God with all joy, but they search the Scriptures to see whether or not these things are so. You have a question about the Bible or maybe a nuanced question about something going on in your life, then go ahead and write the word question in front of it or put a question mark in front of it and submit it in the comment section so I'll be able to distinguish it uh, other than just a comment. And do me a favor, reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense so I don't have to guess at what you're saying. And then put the ref any references in that you would like us to be able uh, to look up. Our first question today comes from a question that was asked last on our last Q&A. And that was, and I put it this way today, help, I'm looking at things I shouldn't. It was a confession that I'm watching things online that I should not be watching. It was at the very end of our Q&A, and I didn't give it the time that I wanted to be able to give it. So I wanted to come back and talk about that statement. In fact, I think it's such a healthy thing when we will admit that we've got something going on in our lives and we need help and that there is no judgment when we do that, that there is a safe place to be able to say, I'm struggling with this and to be able to find the help that you need to get through it. Now, I wasn't completely sure that it might not have been looking for an answer for someone else. Nevertheless, I think that we should take it as serious. And I want to say that when we confess our sins to one another, and this question was asked by the same person, um, Justice and Truth, or um, Just and Truth, I think, uh, was asked by the same, uh, uh, in one of our comment sections, was asked by the same person whether or not it was good for us to confess our sins to one another and what happens there. And I wanted to go to that in James chapter 5, and I want to start by taking a look at it, uh, confessing our sins to one another. So, um, let me see here. Let's get to the right place. Uh, Yeah, so let me go ahead and show this to you. So, it says here in James chapter 5, this is verse 14, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So, this is going to the leadership in the church for prayer being anointed with oil. James goes on to say, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. as he, If he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. And so, there are sicknesses that are a result of sin. That doesn't mean all sicknesses are, and we've got to be very careful not to judge people because we don't know. But there are sicknesses that are a, a, a from sin. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where some of them who were taking communion were taking it in an unworthy manner and they were sick. And so he says, if you have committed any sins, he will be forgiven. And then it says, confess your trespasses to one another that you may be healed. Now, this is in the context of going to the leadership of the church and asking for anointing. It doesn't mean that you can't confess your sins to leadership only when you're going for an anointing. But I don't know that this is just a a random confessing of our sins to one another. 
I think we want to be in a secure and a safe place. Um, a lot of times, we've talked about this last week, the, uh, the revival breaks out when someone says, I'm in sin and I've been living in sin. Then they're not willing to hide it anymore. And they repent and they begin to seek after God to walk in the light as he is in the light, the Bible says. And, uh, and, and so there will be revival that will start with that. And it's very powerful. It goes on to say, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Elijah was a man of like nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. I love that it says that Elijah was a man like us with the same nature, but he prayed and God answered his prayer and the prayer of faith will, will do things. And he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and produced its fruit. And, and so this idea of confessing our sins to one another, it's a good thing. We want to make sure you're in a safe place uh, when you do it so that you can uh, find yourself uh, so you can find yourself really seeking God. Now, let's come back to the idea that you're looking at things that you shouldn't look at. And this can, becomes a behavioral issue. Some will call it an addiction, uh, but it really is more behavioral. You're doing something, you respond to something one way or another. And because you do that, then you find yourself returning to this behavior. And repentance is the first thing to do a desire to walk with God and to get something out of your life and then to make some decisions that you're going to make this very serious. Um, I think that fasting is a great idea. Um, fasting, when, when you grieve, you don't want to eat. And when something hits you and strikes you and you want something to change, fasting is a great way to say, I'm serious about this. It may be fasting for a day. It may be fasting pleasant food. There's different ways to fast, and you don't want to do it just to put on a show, right? You want to do it for the right reasons when you're fasting, but fasting can be a good place to start when you're trying to change behavioral issues. The Bible says in James, again, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. It's not just drawing near to God, but it's cleansing our hands and cleansing our heart and our desire to be able to get rid of those things that we are struggling with. It's got to be a move of the Spirit. God needs to help you. Now, the Bible tells us some very practical things. The Bible says, put your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. The Bible says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Bible says, delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Abide in, in me and let my word abide in you, Jesus said, and you will have the desires that you ask for. Whatever's pure, whatever's holy, whatever's honest, whatever's true, think on these things. So all of those are in the positive and we don't want to put those down because that's by faith. By faith, you say, I'm going to, not put my mind on things of the earth, but I'm putting my mind on things above. By faith, you do that. And God honors faith and God's ready to honor it. And God will help you to be set free from what you're doing. But there is a sense of seriousness that needs to be with the commitment. And when you've been living for your flesh and walking in your flesh, <clears throat> instead of walking in the spirit, then you've got all those behavioral issues that you've got to end up dealing with. So I would ask God, help me that I don't have the desire to look at these things anymore and begin to walk in the spirit, begin to walk in the light, begin to love righteousness <clears throat> and to hate wickedness and to see things as they are. This idea that we as Christians can be as close to the world as we can possibly get and still be in love with God 
is one that causes us a great deal of problems. And the, the desire that I want to live for him wholeheartedly. We talked about this revival that's taking place right now in Kentucky. And it started with a kid standing up and confessing, I've got sin in my life. And he went to the altar and began to weep and others began to join him. And this revival has broken out. And I'm not sure what exactly uh, this revival is all about. There's a lot of worship services that are going on. I hope a lot of people are coming to Christ because that's what revival does. It can start in the heart of the church and it can start in people getting their lives right. But it's people coming to Christ. It's a move of the Holy Spirit and being able to, 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 to sense and know that God's moving. And when you have a heart to say, I want to do those things that are right. So I hope that helps. If you've got something going on that you need to change, then get serious about it. Do something like fasting and prayer. Tell somebody, go to a leader and tell them, I'm struggling with this. I need to get this out of my life. Let them pray with you and seek God for you. And let there be a desire for righteousness and holiness in each one of your lives. All right. And so thank you very much for that question. I do appreciate that. Um, so we have a, a question from Andre about Psalms 150. That's the last of all the Psalms. Concerning Psalms 150, does the author intentionally omit singing because some people are terrible at it? I've heard some nails to the chalkboard sounding uh, corners in my day. Yeah, Andre, that's... Um, that may be true. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those. I'm always surprised when I'm sitting behind somebody and they turn around and they say to me, man, you know, you should join the choir because you sing really well. It's like, I do? Are you sure you're listening to me? Now, I can, I can sing like Neil Diamond. I can sing like, like there's a few people I can impersonate, which is really funny that I can be on key when I can sing for them. Um, but or when I can sing uh, them, their songs, not for them, but them, their songs. Um, but I, when I try to sing like myself, woo, it's it's rough. Uh, so let's go to Psalms 150 and let's read that. Thank you, Andre. I appreciate that. Um, so we're going to see if God intentionally left out singing. So it says, uh, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him for his mighty, uh, in his mighty firmament, praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent graces, uh, greatness. Praise him with the sound of trumpets. Praise him with the harp. Praise him with timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with uh, uh, clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Great psalm. Great psalm to end uh, the book of Psalms. And Andre, yeah, I don't, I don't know why God left out singing there. I, I, I see what you're saying, and it is kind of funny, but I, we, we just don't know why God left it out there. I'm sure that praise God includes singing. I do find it interesting that, as far as I know, we don't find angels singing in the Bible, which always shocks people. We find people singing. We, well, we find angels. Uh, we find in Job, there's the morning there's the morning stars that sing at the foundations of the world and all the sons of God shouting. And I think the sons of God there would be angels. And who are the morning stars there is interesting. All right. So um, thank you for your question. I appreciate that. Uh, we have a question from Deidre. Deidre, thanks for joining us. She says, hi, Pastor. I have family who believe that they can be saved during, uh, during tribulation. I disagree until Wednesday night service. Can you please clarify? 
Um, yeah, so I take it, Deidre, that you thought that once the, the resurrection happens and the rapture is a smaller part of that resurrection and, and the dead in Christ rise first and we who are alive and remain change, and this corruptible puts on incorruptible, this mortal puts on immortality, and we are in the presence of God uh, forever now. We'll come back with him, but we'll be in his presence. That now, because the Holy Spirit left, that people could no longer be saved. And then on, on Wednesday night, we talked about the greatest revival ever, which are people in heaven, in white robes, of every tongue, tribe, and nation, an innumerable amount of people um, that came out of the great tribulation. That's because the Holy Spirit is still active. And there are 144,000 Jewish evangelists, and there's the two witnesses, and there's angels that go through and preach the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation. So people still can get saved. Now, they're going to be given under the authority of the Antichrist. And we read passages out of Daniel and out of Revelation that tell us that the Antichrist is given power over the saints. And that's why I always say that Revelation 3.10 cannot be what some try to make it to be. God promised the faithful church, because you have persevered, I will keep you from the great hour of testing that will come upon the whole world. And they say, well, that means through. But it can't mean through because power was given to the Antichrist over the saints. So he's not going to keep you from it. There is promises in the book of Revelation for protection for the nation of Israel but not for Gentile saints. It just isn't there. And so that's why we say that. So that's, um, uh, people can come to Christ during the tribulation period. Not only can they, they will. It will be a time of great revival. Uh, it's not only a time of God's wrath. God desires all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth the Bible says. God's not slack concerning his promises, but wants all to be saved. And so God's going to use the tribulation period to shake people up, and they're going to come to him. Many of them will be martyred. Many of them will give their lives for Christ. But better to live your life for Christ than to, to be finished with this world. And I'm sure uh, that's the way they think about it. Daniel, good to see you. Uh, Daniel has a question. How do you prevent guilt from sin from preventing you and serving God? Uh, all right. Well, thank you, Daniel, uh, for your question. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you, by the way. How do you prevent guilt from sin from preventing you from serving God? And so you're asking, someone has guilt, and so they feel like I can't be used by God. I'm, I've got so much, I just can't be used by God. God, God wouldn't use someone like me. Um, I think that there could be, there could be some real things going on with someone where there, there are unrepented and unconfessed sins and a person shouldn't be used by God at this point. I've known people that are in high roles that shouldn't have been there. Later on, it was found out the things that they were involved in. So there's a proper time when something you're involved in should keep you out of doing things for God. Because remember, you can do things in the flesh that look like they're successful when they're not the power of God at all. Uh, but let's just say that someone has repented. They've blown it. They've repented. They've sinned somehow. And now they feel like they can't be used by God. And it's not right. It's not proper because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I would say for, for myself, I would want to walk in a healthy, confident way the Bible says if anyone says that he has no sin, then he's a liar. So we all have sin. And so I have sin in my life. 
and yet I'm a pastor and I'm seeking God. Am I, do I have the right heart and desire? Am I trying to keep God's commandments? Am I living for him and not for myself? And when I sin, am I repenting, confessing, and making things right? And the answer to that is yes. And uh, for me, it's a good, healthy understanding that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And sometimes you can throw yourself on the sword too soon. Uh, maybe there's a, there's a break that needs to happen from ministry with certain sins, especially severe sins. Um, but that's, um, that's how I keep guilt from keeping me from serving God is just a good, healthy dose of um, the fact that we're all made of flesh and God knows that. We all struggle. God knows that. But how bad, how bad are we talking? And I think that's important to understand, Daniel, because there are things that could be, be bad enough to where you would say, I really can't be used by God anymore and shouldn't be for a while, not until some things can take care of. Anybody can be restored. Anything can be restored. But sometimes it takes restoration to be able to do that. All right. So thank you, Daniel. I appreciate that. Um, we have a question from Jari about revival. Jari says, why do revivals come and go? If God's doing something, why is it temporary? Makes me question revivals more and more. Israel again did evil in the eyes of the Lord after a move of God. Um, yes. Ah, yeah, I'm going to say so. Yeah, God would move, um, raise up a godly leader among them. God would do some pretty incredible things. And then they themselves would begin to do things that were ungodly again. And, um, you know, again, the, the why questions are difficult. Why, um, why do, you, do revivals come and go? Is God is doing anything? Why is it temporary? So the, these are, are questions that only God can answer because only God knows why he would have times of revival and why he wouldn't. And is there anything going on in our culture and in our life? I find it interesting that the 1857 revival came after the Dred Scott decision, which in their own words said that an African-American, even a Northern African-American, because remember slavery is around those days, could not be an American citizen. It divided our country and there's a war that came after it, but that was in March of 1857. And then there was a great revival in September of 1857 that resulted in a million people getting saved before the, 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 the um, Civil War that even divided our country even worse. Um, I find the late 60s and early 70s, the revival of the Jesus movement came after the, the, how, back, how things backfired with the free love and the, the, the drug culture of the, the early 60s and mid 60s. And that's where hippies began to come out of it and God began to do a work. And maybe our day is at the point where God's ready to do revival. I hope that that is the case. But why does God do it, doesn't do it all the time? Well, that's, I don't know, I don't know how to answer for God. I can't answer for God. Why God does things the way that God does things. Why didn't he just work in Israel all the time? I don't know. I, I just don't know. All right. Thanks, Jari. I appreciate that. So we have another question from James. And James says, is, uh, oh, yes, a question, a question from Rod about James. Question, is James the son of Alphaeus the brother of Jesus? Is Alphaeus Cloopus Mary's second husband? 
I'm going to say James, the son of Alphaeus, is not the brother of Jesus because we find the brother of Jesus in the Gospels coming to rescue Jesus from himself because he thought they were beside himself. They thought that Jesus has, was, was out of place when he was, um, did, did, uh, was out, when he was out preaching the gospel. They thought he's out of his mind, and they went to rescue him along with his mother. And uh, so the, um, the son of Alphaeus was one of the disciples. And um, I don't think that Alphaeus is Cleopas is Mary's second husband. And I'm not sure what passage would begin to say that, all right? So as far as I know, there's nothing that would make us think that. Um, maybe you have a passage that you could add to this rod that would help us to take a look at that and see whether or not that's the case. But I can't think of anything uh, that would be that case. All right. So thank you very much for your question, Rod. As always, good to see you. Um, we have a question from Abishag. Abishag says, question, why do so many people say the enemy is really attacking me? in conjunction with falling into sin. It is a crutch or an excuse for sin, or can it be or can it be the enemy? Yeah, thank you, Abishag. I appreciate your question. And the answer to this is, uh, yeah, the enemy can be attacking for sin. Sure. Uh, remember, Jesus said Satan, to, to Peter, Satan has been asking for you to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, and when you've restored your brethren, when you are, when you are restored, strengthen the brethren. So Satan wanted to sift to him, and Jesus let him go through it. And so it was an attack from the enemy, the denial that Peter had. So that was the enemy. So the Bible calls him the tempter. And so and Jesus tempted Eve, and Jesus tempted, excuse me, Satan tempted Eve. The Bible says that God has tempted no one, so Jesus didn't tempt anybody. Uh, uh, Jesus was tempted in every way that we were tempted, and he was tempted by the devil, and we're tempted, and so the enemy does attack. And it's interesting, uh, when Jesus is uh, tempted by Satan, it says, and he left him for a more opportune time. So he's looking for an opportune time. Sometimes, Abishag, I don't think an opportune time is necessarily when we're down and out. It might be. It might be that we're... Uh, when we are discouraged or down and we just feel like we can't do any more, he's going to take advantage of that. But it seems that when we come off of high mountains, maybe even pride pride will get in there and Satan will think, I'm going to be able to take advantage of this guy here. So, yeah, the enemy is attacking me. I think that someone who's facing a bunch of sin can be thinking that. I hope it's not an excuse to sin. Could it be? Sure. Are there people who do that? Yes. Um, but when someone says... Um, the enemy is attacking me. I'm really struggling with, with certain sins. Um, then maybe it's time to talk about what the Bible does say about overcoming sin, the things that you have to do, but also praying for them because there's a spiritual battle that does take place. And um, the Bible says, give no place to the enemy. And maybe you've given place to the enemy and that's why there's a spiritual attack. The Bible says that if anyone is a Christ, the evil one cannot touch him. The Bible says to flee um, from, um, to resist the devil and he will flee from you. So are you resisting the devil or are you just giving in to the things that the devil says? So there's a specific way that the enemy attacks Christians and it is to get them to fall and then to accuse them uh, before the Father. So thank you, Abishag. I appreciate your question. We have another question from Fact Check These Hands. Good to see you. 
says, how can one believe they are truly born again, yet chase after sin? My, my promiscuous friend is certain she's saved. Is she deceived by the enemy regarding her salvation? Let me see if I can get to a passage that I want to use uh, to be able, it might take me a second here uh, to find this out of Galatians, and I think it's chapter 5. Let me just go here and look, and I'll see um, if I can find it. Let's see. Yeah, here we go. All right. So let me just put this up on the screen for you. In fact, check these hands. So we're asking whether a promiscuous friend who says that she is really saved is born again. And I just want to read this passage. It's kind of a scary passage for someone who was living like this. It says, I say, then walk in the spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry. Now those first four, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, and lewdness are all sexual sin. So the promiscuity of your friend would fall into line here. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, when you hate someone, are you a you know, conservative that hates liberals? Are you, is this a work of the flesh or is this a fruit of the spirit? Contentions, again, just desire to pick fights all the time, want to fight with people. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel when he's led by the spirit. Um, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, doing anything, it may look good, but for your own desires, selfish ambition. Um, dissensions, heresies, teaching false teachings, which is going to tell us that someone who's teaching these heresies, they know that they're false, I think. I think very few people are deceived when it comes to a major heresy. Envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, so it's not a complete list, and the like it says, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to leave that right in the middle there. Those who practice such things, just take a look at that. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Let's see if I can do this a different way. I don't know that I can. All right, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So this doesn't mean that somebody might not do something out of selfish ambition or might not teach a heresy or, or might not have an outburst of wrath. It's the practicing of things that gets you into trouble, those who practice such things. So when someone is promiscuous and says, listen, I'm doing this, but I love God and I've got a right relationship with him, they have no repentance, they have no desire to change. Repentance is a desire to change. Godly repentance leads to that desire to change. And so I would say a, per a Christian who is practicing sin has no confidence that they have a genuine relationship with God. They may be deceived. Maybe they think they do, but they don't really know what it is. The Holy Spirit will convict them and they will have a desire to walk right before God. We live in a world where if you are conformed by the world, you will not be transformed. You won't have your mind transformed um, by, the, by, the, by the word of God that you can prove what's good and acceptable and 
uh, and uh, good, acceptable, and perfect will of God in your life. So, I'm um, going back to your question, how can one believe they're truly born again, yet chase after sin? And my question is, you don't know you're really born again. And they might just be putting on an act to be able to do what they want to do and to live for the things of this world instead of wholeheartedly being sold out and living for God. Again, it doesn't mean that there can't be a failure and then repentance, making things right and walking with him, but you can't be practicing those things and make it into the kingdom of God. And anybody who thinks they can, well, I think there's a couple of passages that help us with that. John 1 says, if anybody says they love him and do not keep his commandments, they're lying. So if they're saying, I, don't, I love God, but I'm not going to keep his commandments. And the commandments that we have is to walk in the light as he's in the light. The commandments that we have is to walk in the spirit. These are commandments. And if you don't want to do the things that Christ wants you to do, then have you made a real commitment to him? All right, fact check these hands. I pray God gives you wisdom that you would be able to share this with them. I pray that they would be receptive. I pray that you, God would grant them genuine repentance and that they would make things right as they are, are now walking with the Lord. All right, so thank you very much. Uh, fact check these hands, I really appreciate that. So we have a question from One God 777 um, question. Ask Jehovah Witnesses now, atheists, ex, um, is that ex-Jehovah Witness? Now atheists said, the sins of the father is not put on the children. Yes, okay, and there's a pastor that says that. But then he brought up David, son, being killed. Any thoughts? Yeah, I do, um, one God, seven, seven, seven. Yeah, so there is a passage where God says, stop saying we ate sour grapes, or our parents ate sour grapes and our teeth are set on edge. So the idea was, look, we're suffering because of our parents. Our parents did these things and now we're suffering because of it. God said, stop that. And God said, I will not punish a child for the sins of their father, nor a father for the sins of their child. Now, the child dying when David had the affair with Bathsheba. And we do know that there was a, um, um, a, inequity of power in that relationship between David and Bathsheba. But a child resulted in that affair. And there was a death to try to cover that up. And so things got worse. It started by looking over a porch and seeing a woman taking a bath and then wanting to have Bathsheba. And then her name is Bathsheba. She was taking a bath when he saw her. I don't know what that all means. I'm joking, by the way. It is interesting uh, that uh, there's certain things that happen like that in the Bible, but Bathsheba taking a bath, he sees her, he invites her in a moment of lust. Now they sleep together and then a child is produced from that. And now she, they invite her husband back from the, the battle. He won't be unfaithful to those who are out on the battlefield and go home and sleep with his wife. So David's sin can't be covered up. So David sends him out into the battle, tells Job, sends a letter in his hand to Joab to pull back the army, put this guy up in front, pull back the army. Joab does it and he dies. And for a year, he's silent until Nathan the prophet comes and tells him a parable and then says, David, you are that man. And David repents. And God speaks through Nathan and says, the child that you had with Bathsheba is going to die. You're not going to die. Because in that little analogy, he has said the man would die. And now he says, you're not going to die, but the child will die. So is God punishing the child for the act of his father? And I would say instead, we should think of it more as the result of sin. We're not talking about punishment. 
for the child. The child is in the presence of God. So the child lived on. The child never missed a day of living. They went from the time that they died here into the presence of God. And David got up and washed his face and ate and said, I will, the child will not come back to me, but I will go to the child. And he knew that the child was in the presence of God. So nothing was taken from the child. You say, well, life is taken. Well, not if God through his foreknowledge knows all things that are going to happen. And what about someone who's alive for a month and then they're in the presence of God for all of eternity? Have they missed out on anything? I do believe life is a gift and I wanna live as long as I can for the glory of God, I do. But at the moment that I die, I will be in the presence of God. And so I don't see this as a punishment on the child. I, I heard someone say one time, this is collateral damage not God punishing them. And I think that's the right way for us to think about um, this particular thought. Uh, it is tragic and it is sad. However, the child does live in the presence of God and God does discipline David and Bathsheba, which is important, I think, because David, it said that he had a heart after God's own heart and he did such a horrible thing. But that'll tell you, no matter how good your heart is, and this is what people miss, they get so offended and non-believers say, I'm not gonna follow a God that will say of David, I have a man after my own heart. But you're missing the point. Even a good heart like God's heart cannot, a man after God's own heart, I'm gonna be careful how we say it, right? A man after God's own heart cannot keep you from sinning. You have to have God. Being the wisest man in the world can't keep you from sinning. Solomon led Israel into idolatry and he was the wisest man who was alive. So we all fail, we all have sin. And that's what God's doing when God, I believe disciplines David and Bathsheba for what they did by taking the life of the son. Uh, it is not God punishing the son, but punishing them. And you, you say, well, maybe the son would have wanted to live. Well, maybe, you know, but this is what God had planned for them, wanted for them, okay? Um, one God 777, thank you very much. Uh, we have another question from Violet, Violet Stagg. Violet Stagg, good to see you. Good to have you here with us today. And um, he asked, how much of the Old Testament laws are we to adhere? Such as not getting tattoos, tattoos, as I like to say, or shaving. Um, Leviticus 19, 27 to 28. I don't know uh, the early church told the Gentiles to only abstain from certain things. Yeah, um, so I'm gonna answer your question in a short form and a long form, all right? Uh, violent, uh, violent stag, not violent stag, violent stag. Um, how much of the Old Testament laws are we to adhere to? The moral laws. The thou shall not steal, thou shall not bear false witness. And we adhere to them by love. Because if I walk in love, then I fulfill all of the law and the prophets. So if I love you, I'm not gonna steal from you. If I love you, I'm not gonna covet what you have. If I love you, then I'm, I'm not going to you know, murder you because I, I love you. And so that's the, that is the short answer to it. Uh, now let's go back to the longer answer to it. Uh, how much do we have to adhere to? There is a way in which we adhere to none of it. Um, in Galatians 5.18, it says, if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. 
And so I do do things that the spirit, that the law told me not to do in the moral law, but I don't do them because I'm keeping the law. I do them because I'm walking in the spirit. I can accomplish the heart of the law, the spirit of the law, by walking in the spirit and by loving one another, loving God and loving each other. Those are two things that I can do to fulfill the heart of the law. I don't keep any of the law. I've been set free from the law. The law brought me to Christ and now it's, I, I no longer need the tutor. The law was a tutor to bring me to Christ and I no longer need it. And as I said, um, and I'm, I'm on Galatians 5, so let me just go to Galatians 5.18. And um, I guess we read this a little bit earlier. Um, this is verse 18. So let me just uh, put this on here for you. It says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is the day that the Jewish people celebrated the giving of the law. Isn't that interesting? And the giving of the law was with fire and lightning and thundering. And the word for thunder there could be translated voices in Exodus. And so they're given the law and there's thunderings, voices and lightning and fire and smoke. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes with tongues of fire on type of people's head with a rushing wind. It's similar to the giving of the law, but it's the giving of the spirit. And they speak in tongues. This is the first fruits. They're going to go out in the world and, and, and going to be witnesses for Christ. So they speak in tongues of, uh, and it's not tongue, an un, an un, a tongue that can't be understood, but it's a tongue that can be understood because the people in around the, the area they were in hear them praising God in their own language. And so God gives the spirit on the same day of the year that he gave the law, the day of Pentecost. So 50 days after the Passover, the children of Israel were delivered from Passover. Moses is receiving the law. And so the day of Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. And they celebrate Moses receiving the law. Jewish people celebrate Moses receiving the law on the day of Pentecost. And um, so the spirit, walking in the spirit, replaces being led by, by the law and being under the law. So I don't have to keep any of it. And anybody who wants to say that I do is now has some weird kind of a doctrine that they cannot support through the scriptures. Even when Paul went back and had a council in Acts chapter 15 with the, um, with the disciples, and at the end of that council, they had said, um, refrain, from, refrain from blood and from things strangled, and you will do well. Um, let's see if I can find this here. All right. Um, yeah, I do. Okay, so let's, let's take a look at this. So this is their decision at the end of the council because there were people going into the region of, the Galatia, of Galatia. Really, they kind of nagged Paul. They were legalists that tried to tell people, you have to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law in order to be saved. God never did away with the law. And so Paul writes Galatians and Romans and, Hebrew, and Hebrews is written by, by who knows who to be able to battle these things. And they're battled well. And then in Acts 15, they all come together and Peter says, look, I was told by God not to call unclean what was unclean and I went into a Gentile's house and they received the Holy Spirit, so how could I not baptize them? And so that was the entry of, of Gentiles into the, the church. And then here at the end of this council, they were deciding whether or not a, a, a Gentile Christian was going to have to become Jewish 
it says it seemed good. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden than the necessary things, that they abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, and from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep um, if you keep from the uh, from these, you will do well. Now let's just go here and see if we can find out where in Galatians Paul refers to this again. Let's check up here. That's Leviticus. I got one more here. Let me check. Okay, so Paul talks about this in Galatians, and Paul leaves out um, and talks about taking care of the poor uh, as as one of the things that they had to, they had them to do, um, but. But these seem to be the heart of the counsel, not of God, to live upon the necessary things, to abstain from, from idols. Later on, Paul will say, uh, don't ask the question if things have been offered to idols. So this seems to be their take on it, not what God wants. This isn't a, thus says the Lord. This is what they told Paul. And it says from, um, from things strangled and from blood. And Paul later on says, we have no re- a requirement of such things. And for sexual morality, of course. And Paul says the very thing that we were willing to do. The very thing we wanted to do. Uh, so uh, we are not at a place where we are obligated to keep any of the law, but we walk in love. And when someone tries to get us to keep the law, and there are plenty of people to do that, there are plenty of groups out there who will say that you have to keep the law to genuinely be saved. These legalists, these Judaizers, if they are Jewish, um, legalists if they're not, um, these are these are are. Are cults. These are not genuine Christianity. Paul said, if anybody comes, this is Galatians, he's talking about this very, this very battle. If anybody comes to you bringing you any gospel other than the gospel that I gave you, then let him be accursed. That's pretty strong words. Let him be accursed. In fact, when you go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, let me just read this to you. Paul gives this very strong, and we know that the book of Galatians is going to fight against legalism, people t- saying that you've got to keep the law. In fact, he will go on to say, if, if you keep the law, then Christ died in vain. If your sins are forgiven by keeping the law, then Christ died in vain. You're doing something that can't even forgive your sins, and Jesus didn't need to die if you could do it. So Paul says, verse 1, this is Galatians 1, verse 1, uh, Paul, an apostle, not by men nor by men, but through Christ Jesus uh, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you, peace from God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a pretty short opening that he gives to these churches in this region. Then he says this, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. He calls the preaching of keeping the law a different gospel. He says, which is not another. Now, he's playing off the word gospel. Gospel is good news. It's not another good news. But these are some who trouble you and want you to pervert the gospel of Christ. So to tell people you've got to you got to be baptized in water. The miracle generation happens when you're baptized. Uh, you got to be baptized in water to be saved, or you've got to speak in tongues to be saved, or you got to keep the law to be saved, are perverting the gospel of Christ. And then he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preached any other gospel to you than what you have been preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anybody preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. Now that's very strong. 
And that helps us to understand that we do not have to keep any part of the law. We fulfill the law by walking in love. Violet Stag. All right. So um, thank you very much for your question. I appreciate it. And I hope that is helpful to you. We don't pick and choose. We're in, under a new system. So I'm not keeping any of the law. So when someone says to me, do you keep the Ten Commandments? I, I'm always like, no, I don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. And then they always think they got me. What? They want me to say yes. So um, when the, the, the person that is really stuck on the Sabbath will say to me, do you keep the Ten Commandments? They're Sabbatarians. I'll say no. And then they're always shocked. But I'm, I'm kind of messing with them because of course I do, right? I mean, I keep, but I don't keep the Sabbath because Jesus is my Sabbath. But I do keep the Sabbath because Jesus is my Sabbath. But I'm under a different system. I'm under the system of Christ. I'm under the system of love. I'm no longer under um, the system of the law. We have been set free from the law. All right. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Violet Sagan. Good to see you, by the way. Been a little while since you asked a question, so good to have you here. Uh, if you are joining us for the very first time, really glad to have you. Uh, if you have a question, it can be about the Bible. It can be about something nuanced going on in your life that you're looking um, for some help with. Uh, it can be something that's just been puzzling you and you would like to talk about it. Um, I'm not saying that I've got the answer to every one of them, um, but we'll do our best to take a look at the scriptures and find the truth from the word of God. Um, I've been a pastor for, well, a pastor of a, a, a church, um, the lead pastor of a church for 38 years. And again, that doesn't make me qualified to answer every question, but certainly I, I can um, answer a lot of them from the scriptures and I'll do my best to do that. Uh, so we have a couple questions here. Let's see. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so thank you, uh, Keith, for explaining how questions should be presented. So write the word question in front of it, write out your question, reread it a couple of times, make sure it makes sense, and uh, give us any references that may help uh, to be able to understand what you're saying, and then go ahead and submit it. Um, so, uh, question, what does sifting a person by Satan mean? So, what did Jesus mean when he said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat? What did he mean by that? So, I'm not super familiar with how they sifted wheat in their day. But I'll take it the sifting of wheat is taking the wheat that has fallen back down. So, you go up on a high mountain um, and you beat the wheat with the, with, with the winnowing fans and the chaff gets knocked off of the wheat. And the wind blows away the chaff and, and, the, and the wheat falls straight down. But not all of the chaff is separated from the wheat. So you've got to get a sifter to sift out the wheat from the chaff. I'll take it that the sift is fine enough to where the wheat falls through and the chaff stays there. And you end up with a, with a sieve full of chaff that you can then separate. And now you've separated the wheat from the chaff. So that's the sifting process, I think, of what Jesus is saying. Uh, if I had the reference in front of me, I would go to my Strong's Concordance here and I would show you, but I'm not, I don't remember the exact location and don't want to take time to look it up right now. But that's what I think when I think of sifting. Now, if there's another kind of sifting, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. So it is the sifting of wheat. 
Uh, if there's another way in which they sifted wheat, I'm not familiar with it, but that's what I think of. So Satan wants to sift you. He wants to, you know, see what you're made of. Are you chaff or are you wheat? Let's find out. Satan looked at, at Peter and said, I'm not sure about this guy. Wanted to sift him like wheat. All right, Chris, thank you for your question. I appreciate it. And thanks for joining us. I think this is the first time that you've been here with us. Good to have you here. So uh, we have a question from Paul McGuire. Paul, good to see you. Paul says, um, can a sister who's a worship leader in a really small church be a true Christian if she hates a brother and is mean-spirited towards him and he is good towards her? Is she really saved? She hates. Um, it's hard to answer a question like this, Paul, for this reason. There's no way to really ask her what's going on. Okay. And because there's no way to really ask her what's going on, then it's hard for us to come to the place where we can say, why is she being mean spirited towards him? I, I think that we can say that we need to walk in love. Um, would she say she hates him? Would she admit to that? Um, I, I, yeah, I would... I would just be careful not to judge her. That's all I would say at this point. Um, what else is going on here? So is there something else going on that's more than just at face value? If I could take, if we can, if, if you have everything accurate, Paul, and she is hating, she hates someone, just hates a brother that's in the church as she's leading worship, she shouldn't be leading worship. That's, if she really does hate him. I would be careful that I'm not judging someone because that's wrong to do. Is there something else going on? So if I had this accusation, if I had somebody come and say, one of your worship leaders hates somebody in the church, I would, I would just call them in. And I'd be really matter of fact. I would just say, hey, somebody told me that you're having a problem with somebody that you hate them. Is that's going on? And then let them go ahead and talk and see what they say. If they said, yeah, I hate them. I just absolutely hate them. Then I would encourage them not to hate that person because we were called to love and not hate. These are God. This is God's flock. You're leading someone. So you want to walk in love towards them. So I would do that. And then if she didn't repent, then yeah, I would remove her as a worship leader. Um, God's able, if she belongs to him, to speak to her. God can speak to his own. So hopefully that's helpful, Paul. Um, and um, maybe you know, someone can go to her in love. The Bible says that the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, correcting those who are in opposition. The Bible says, if anyone who is in, is in sin, let him who is spiritual go to such a one and restore them in a spirit of gentleness, considering themselves, lest they also be tempted. So there needs to be someone who's spiritual, who can go to her, probably someone she's an author, under the authority of, and talk to them. All right? So... Um, thank you for that. So, yeah, so keeping it real is clarifying something here, and I agree 100% with what she's saying. If a Christian is practicing sin, they are not born again. That practicing there, we get right out of Galatians. Um, uh, if they are falling in sin, that's different. God knows our own struggles. He knows that we're but dust. He knows that all of us do have some struggles. 
So I would agree at 100% um, with what Keeping It Real is saying there. All right, so thank you for that. So um, Chris Johnson, um, yeah, has a question about sifting. All right, and then we have fact check these hands. Am I getting these in order? Um, Okay, yeah, some are showing up twice for whatever reason. All right, so um, uh, fact check these hands says follow-up. Thanks, you're welcome. By the way, glad we could get this in. Um, she admits she has outbursts of wrath, lacks self-control, and she also jokes about putting hexes on people um, whom she hates. Um, her mother is Wiccan, okay? Um, yeah. So, we're coming back to your promiscuous friend, right? And we're following up on, on that. Um, I, would, I would come back to almost the same thing that we were just talking about. That someone needs to really address her. But do it in the spirit of, it says, if anyone's in sin, so it looks like she's in sin, then you are spiritual, go to such a one and restore such a one. They need to be restored in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So I would I would put it in that category. And um, maybe, you know, maybe you can go to leadership. Is she under a leadership? Is she under authority? Um, that leadership might be able to go to them and talk to them. Trust me, I'm, and we have, I don't know what it is, 15, 16 pastors on our staff at our church. And we do a lot of going and talking to people when we'll hear something from somebody, and um, we don't always move right away, but we take some time, seek God, and um, we'll go and talk to someone if there's something that needs to be talked to them about. So I'm, you know, are they in a place where they can be talked to, and maybe that someone who's spiritual can go to them or restore them? Maybe that's you. Fact check these hands in a spirit of gentleness. Uh, so sunshine says has a question. A loved one who was a true believer committed suicide. Could they still be in heaven? Yeah, and this is um, such a tragedy, right? And we think about someone being at the state where they absolutely cannot think of any other way out or they don't like life or they don't cherish life enough that they, they end up taking their life. Is, um, is there mental illness involved here? Is someone at such a state that they take their lives because of mental illness? Uh, a genuine Christian, can a genuine Christian be so distraught that they take their own life? I, I believe they can. Um, I'm going to say, you know, I don't know how rare it would be. I think it would be rare that a genuine Christian is going to take their own life. For what reason did they take it? And if they're living for Christ, why did they take it? I'm going to just say it's rare. I, I'm not going to make a judgment that they're not saved. They're not going to heaven. I'm just going to think it's rare that that happens. And is there some kind of mental illness that's involved here? Where someone just couldn't think things rationally? Because I just can't imagine being so distraught that I would want to take my own life or, or hating living here so much that I would want to take my own life. I want to be here. You know, I don't want to. And so I can't imagine that. And it's a pretty mean thing to do to the people that are left behind, right? You talk about a loved one who has committed, a true believer committed suicide. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty mean thing to do. Now, if they really are a true believer, and you know, that's your question, if a loved one is a true believer and committed suicide, could they still be in heaven? Yes. 
because there's no unforgivable sin. And maybe it was a just a really strange, bizarre, weak moment that caused such an awful tragedy in their lives. But it certainly isn't thinking about the people who are around you. It's not living the life um, like you're supposed to be. Uh, all right. Um, so sorry to hear that. By the way, sunshine. Uh, that's such a that's such a struggle and such a tragedy. And I pray that God would be with you. I pray God would give you wisdom. I pray that God would allow you to be able to minister um, to your other loved ones that this has happened to. Even when you lose someone in your family, it's hard. But suicide is always a little bit harder. So I uh, I pray that God would really bring you peace in the midst of this. And if they were really a true believer, they're going to be in heaven. You just wonder, why would why does someone take their life, right? Why Why would a true believer end up taking their lives? At least that's the thought that I have. All right, so thank you, Sunshine. I appreciate it. I'm not saying they can't be. I'm sure it happens. I'm, I've done funerals of people who have killed themselves that I, I, I believe that they were genuine Christians. I just don't understand it. So Jari has a question, follow-up. Can a person lose their healing? If they fall into sin, can God take them home early. Example, man at church was healed um, from a withered hand, then he got greedy and his disease came back. Um, did that happen? I would really be interested in knowing. Did that happen? Was there a genuine documented healing of a man with a withered hand that got it back? Or is this just an example that you're using that is hypothetical? I would be interested to find out. Uh, Jari, if that's a if that's a true statement or not, um, lose their healing. It's not just a question of could God take them home earlier. If a man falls into sin, could God take them home early? Yeah, and we have the example of that in First um, Corinthians chapter eleven, where we have people who are not taking communion in a worthy manner, and for this reason, some of them sleep. Paul said, that means die. So, and some of them are sick. So some people could be made sick if they're if they're doing things in an unworthy manner. So yeah, discipline could include illness. Um, and uh, Paul talks about an infirmity in his life that was because of the greatness of the of the call that he had been given. So could someone person lose their healing? I, there's no one in the Bible that we see doing that. Is it possible that instead of God causing someone to get sick, who's in such sin that God's going to now discipline with them by getting them sick? Is it possible they would take away their healing? Maybe. And I hate to answer that that way, Jari. I really do. Um, but I just want to be very careful. I don't speak for God where we don't have anything to, to bring up speaking for God. But certainly, if someone is in sin, God can take them home early. They can shorten their lives. And um, if someone is... Um, is doing something in an unworthy, taking communion in an unworthy manner was the example um, that we find in the Old Testament. All right. Uh, so we have, let's see, I got a couple more minutes. So we have a question from New Life. New Life, good to have you here with us. Good to see you. Um, I don't know if I've seen anything for Facebook here. Um, a good number of people on uh, YouTube. A question present with God at death, yet scripture says Jesus will come for those sleeping, dead believers first. 
uh, which is it, please? Well, thank you. Uh, New Life, this will be our last question for today. All right. If you have another question, you can go ahead and write it out, put it in the comment section. I'll come back and look at these to see if I can pick one for uh, our next Q&A. Yes, the Bible says, when we are absent from this body, we are present with the Lord. That's just clear. So, we die here, we are in God's presence. Praise God. So, how is God going to bring those who sleep with him unless he have those who sleep with him? Okay? So, first of all, that passage begins with, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. There's three passages that say this. There's a passage that says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning Israel, that blindness has happened to them in part. So, Israel and God restoring them, that's, God doesn't want us to be ignorant of that. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts, and I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. And that's where he goes into the first Thessalonians 4 passage. And I want to go there and read it. And I can just work you through this really quick. I want to go there and show you. Um, so, I'm going to go ahead and put this up on the screen for you. It says, um, but I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now, this is, they are in the presence of God. Whether they are spirit only or they have a body is a matter of debate. Uh, but they're there, they're in his presence, and they're aware. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So, he's going to bring back their spirits with him, or maybe them in their temporary body. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. And I love that this is the word of the Lord. That those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, this is the resurrection, will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord will himself descend from heaven with the shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So their bodies will rise. This is the resurrection. When um, the first resurrection the first resurrection will not be complete until after all of those who have been killed in the tribulation period are resurrected. But this is another step in the first resurrection, Jesus, and then the, rap, the, the resurrection rapture, which we see here. And um, the, he brings the dead back um, and uh, the dead will rise first, meaning their bodies rise. So we are, our bodies are going to be changed in a moment and twinkling of an eye, it says in 1 Corinthians 15. So he's going to bring their bodies up to meet their spirits in the air. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So, the answer to your question, New Life 777, is that God will bring with him the spirits or the temporary bodies of those who have died in Christ, and then their bodies will be resurrected. That brings a whole series of questions along with it, but let's just trust that God can do whatever God wants to do, and he's able to bring their bodies back together so that they will have their bodies. I will have this body. Even if I die, fall overboard, and get eaten by, by 10,000 fish, I'll have this body. He'll be able to bring me back, and God's able to do that, no problem. And this corruptible will put on incorruptible, this mortal will put on immortality. All right? So, thank you very much for your question. Hopefully, that is... Um, that is good. If you have a follow-up, uh, Chris, we would love to hear that. All right. Uh, you can go ahead and write that down. If you have any other questions, take a moment to write them out now. Um, I think we'll keep this open for at least a couple of minutes afterwards um, while we close out. But it's good to see you guys. Good to see all of you guys uh, here. Um, Ra um, Rapture Watch says suicide is murder. Um, are you murdering yourself? I'm, you know, maybe that's correct.
Um, yeah, maybe that's correct. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of questions about um, about suicide. I have a lot of thoughts about it, and um, yeah, we can talk more about it. All right. So thank you guys for joining us here. It's really good uh, to have you here. Really good for us to gather together and ask these questions and seek God. All right. Stay close to Jesus. Love him. We have a service in an hour from now, less than an hour from now. Um, I'm going to be teaching out of Acts chapter 2 tonight. We're looking at the infilling or the gift of the Holy Spirit to the disciples on the day of Pentecost. A lot of interesting stuff that we're going to be covering, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, Um, We will be talking a little bit about tongues today, but we'll be talking about tongues next weekend when we do a whole message on speaking in tongues and what tongues are and what they are not, all right? But tonight, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look forward to seeing you guys there, all right? Uh, Love you. Stay close to Jesus. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Um, Keep your mind on the things above, not on the things down here. Have a desire to walk with Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit work in your life. May the Holy Spirit fill you and may his presence be so obvious that the glory of God will be seen by people around you. All right, I'm out. We'll see you guys next week.